We move now to Daniel chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits, and its breadth 6 cubits. 6 cubits? 60 cubits, sorry, is 27 meters high, and 6 cubits is about 3 meters wide. So it's a huge statue. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But... If you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image 
that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace, because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let's pray. Father, we... Thank you for this lovely passage of Scripture. But thank you for all Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable to teach us and to train us in righteousness so that we may be the salt and light here in this world, just like these three wise men were. And I thank you, Father. Thank you that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were faithful, wise men, that they were honest but they were the salt and light, gaining to this furnace. But help me now, Father, to preach in a way that is faithful to the Scriptures. And help us to listen. Help us to hear what your Word has to say to us. Help us not to always read into Scripture and come out with feelings and emotions, but help us to hear what your Word says to us, your promises, that you are a true God, that God is always willing to help and protect His people, no matter what. But thank you, Father, we can be encouraged and strengthened by this passage. Thank you again, we see your great good hand over the lives of people. Yes, you deliver some from their trials and you deliver some through their trials, and we thank you for that. Help us to 
embrace the real truth that you are the true God and you do as you please in heaven. Help us to stop questioning you, but help us to worship you and honor you in everything we do and say. Be merciful to us. Forgive us, Father, when we do sin. Pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to carry on with God rules, but this time we're looking at God rules the furnace, meaning God rules our sufferings. Because when there's a fiery furnace in our life, sufferings come. We can't hide away from suffering. We can't build a, a bubble around us and protect us. We're going to suffer no matter what. But do we believe that our God rules the furnace? You might have heard me read this lovely historical account of these three men that were thrown into the fiery furnace. And you might be sitting here and saying to yourself, well, this is a myth. Or you might say, well, prove it. This is just a story. Prove it. Why don't you take some men today and throw them into the fiery furnace and let's see if God will deliver them. And if he does, I'll believe. If he doesn't, then it's a myth. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe this is how you see, see God. Maybe you don't see God in this at all. Maybe you just find this hard to believe because you're sitting there saying to yourself, God is a loving God. He doesn't like evil in this world. He doesn't like suffering in this world. Maybe you're just confused. So hopefully we can walk away and see that God rules the furnace. Scripture tells us that therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. And the reason why I read that verse is because death and suffering are the result of sin. Adam and Eve sinned, and through their sin, death and suffering has come into this world. And you cannot, you cannot hide away from suffering, just like you cannot hide away from light. Yes, we're in load shedding, we've got no lights on, but we're still in the light. And in the dark, someone will still find you. You can't hide from God. And a lot of people are trying to say that God does not allow suffering. It's all Satan, and God is all love. You've got it wrong. Or some people are saying the most sinful people are the people that will suffer the most. That's not true. That's not true. There was a man called Job. He suffered intensely. He was a man that, that, that Willem just read. He didn't grumble or complain. He was a man that was upright and blameless. He was a man that feared God and turned away from evil. But he suffered intensely. God gave Satan permission to take away his children, his servants, his possessions in a single day. In a single day. Then illness fell upon him. Painful illness. And he was an upright and blameless man. So we mustn't think that the people that are going to suffer the most in this world are the most sinful people, like unbelievers. And because I'm a Christian, I'm safe. No, I'm not safe. 
Job suffered. But the beautiful thing about Job, he continued to keep his eyes fixed on God, serve God, and worship God through his suffering. His wife came to him and said to him, Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. He kept honoring God, worshipping God. If you look at this passage, not to jump ahead, for me, this passage is teaching us to continue to worship God through suffering. We can look at this and say, Oh God, look how you rescued Daniel. Please, not Daniel, the three wise men, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, please rescue me as well. Please, I want you to be that God for me. But that's not really what God's teaching us. He will deliver us through death or from death. Yeah, He delivered them from death. But they continued to worship God. They continued to shine their light. Yeah, there were three righteous men that were willing to suffer. Because they knew to suffer for God in righteousness was pleasing to God. Peter must have picked this up. Because he writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 to 24, For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. It's amazing how we grumble and complain when we suffer for sin. Imagine what we'll be like when we suffer for righteousness. I think of Joseph. He suffered for righteousness. He fled from Potiphar's wife. And for two years he was put in a prison. It wasn't because of sin he was thrown into prison. God threw him into prison because he suffered for doing something right and holy and godly. So let's look at Daniel chapter 3. Let's look at these three men who suffered for doing good. And hopefully we will see two things this morning, maybe one, maybe two, it's a very lengthy passage that shows us what led these three men to suffer for God. Someone said, it's God's will to place us in the furnace. For us to suffer, but it is not His will to leave us alone. That is so encouraging. We sometimes think when we're suffering and going through hard times, God has forsaken us. God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. What can man do to us? So let's look at our first thing that led these three men to suffer for God is their obedience. Their obedience to God. And we see that in the first 12 verses of Daniel chapter 3. We must understand this. From the beginning. I think it's important when we evangelize people and we tell them about Christ and what he did on the cross, etc. etc. 
tell them that to be a Christian is going to be hard. It's going to be suffering. And suffering will come your way. A lot of people say, come be a Christian. Your marriage will come right. Your illness will go away. That's a lie. It can happen. But that is not the reason why you lead someone to Christ. Say that their life's going to become a better life. It doesn't say that in the Scriptures. We are saved to worship and serve the true living God. And everything else will fall into place below that. But take them to James. And James tells us, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Trials will come our way. I love it when people build a beautiful home, put a beautiful security fence around their home, and they keep themselves safe. They go out when it's safe, they come home and they lock themselves. But there's one thing they cannot escape, is illness. We can, we can do everything, but we cannot escape illness. And trials will come our way. We must face this fact. Various trials will come, they will bring suffering, And trials can come in the form of living in this fallen world, illness, floods, earthquakes, tsunamis. But it can also come through our world, their worldviews. It can come through government, politicians, putting pressure on the churches, wanting to close churches. They can tell us, no more speaking in the name of Jesus from tomorrow. No more going to church tomorrow from tomorrow. They're going to stop us from speaking the truth. They'll stop us from saying that Jesus is the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And they will stop us. What will we do? Will we bow down to our government and say, yes sir, no sir, three bags full sir? What will we do? Will we be like Peter and the apostles? Will we say to the leaders, we must obey God rather than you? And we will suffer for righteousness. We will continue to worship our God in spite of what you do to us. Will we be obedient? Because we are saved into an obedience of faith. We are saved to obey God and His Word. Submit to His teachings. Yeah, these three men are tested. Rubber hits the road and their faith is going to be tested. Is it genuine? Is it sincere? Or is it just lip service? And this is what happens. It all starts in Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. King Nebuchadnezzar makes this huge image of gold. Golden image. And like I said, it's 27 meters high, 2.7 meters wide, And he wants everybody to come down and bow to this image. This huge idol. And we know humanity is always worshipping something. They're constructing idols in place of worshipping the true God. And if it's not statues, they're looking to other things. They're worshipping their work. They're worshipping stars. They're worshipping the moon. They're worshipping the sea. Whatever. Images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They're worshipping such things. God created us to worship Him. Everybody wants to worship something. That is how God has created us. 
And we either worship the true living God, and we as Christians should be pointing people to the true living God, or we end up worshipping an idol or something that's the figment of our imagination. Or we just worship ourselves. And the reason why I say that Daniel chapter 3 is all about obedient, faithful worship is because worship comes up ten times in this passage. Ten times. And this is not not just a political statement. This is a, a religious statement. I want you guys to bow down. I'm bringing music. I'm bringing everything. And I want you all to fall at the statue's feet and worship him, says King Nebuchadnezzar. And a herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, so maybe there were drums as well, a lot of people don't like drums in the church, but all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. It could be an image of him, or it could just be an idol. But at the end of the day, you're worshipping both. You can obey the king, and you're going to bow down to this idol. See, the world today wouldn't have a problem with Christianity. If we just served our God, and then when it came to them telling us to do things, then we just put our God in second place. The world would be happy with us. The world would be very happy with us if we just put our God in second place. Yes, go worship your God, go to church, but when it comes to obeying what we tell you out there, what to do, etc., then your God must take second place. And this is what King Nebuchadnezzar was saying to the people. You can worship any God out there. I don't mind, but when it comes to worshiping the statue, all your gods take second place. And it's amazing. Satan is never going to give up on getting us to bow down to him. Trials will come. God will bring trials into our lives or will allow Satan to bring trials into our life. God is still in control of the trials. God tests us. Satan tempts us to see who are we going to worship. Who will we fall down to? Will we fall down to the world or will we fall down to God and plead out for mercy and grace? Like the Republican just beat his chest, Lord be merciful to me. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. We have kind of the same picture here. The devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you. If you will fall down and worship me. Come on, Jesus, I'm going to give you everything. Everything. As if he owns everything. Satan's an idiot. He's a fool. But we still fall down to him and believe. He can't give us anything. What can he give us? A lie, that's all. That's all he does, is he lies to us. And he says this to Jesus, I will give you everything if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. Be gone, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. You hear that? You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Be gone, Satan. Do you know scripture to push Satan away? Because Satan will come, and he will tempt us to fall down and worship him. Just like he's using King Nebuchadnezzar to make this huge image of gold. And for these three 
wise men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to fall down. But Jesus also knew, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in, that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down, shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. See, Jesus' Jesus' obedience is what led him to honour his Father, do his Father's will, keep his Father's word, and not fall down and worship Satan. Obedience is so important to God. It pleases God when we obey him. It honours God when we obey him. That is why when we talk about He's given us the Holy Spirit, power will come upon you when the Holy Spirit comes upon you because we need that power to fight temptation, to turn away from falling down at Satan's feet and what the world has to offer and the flesh. We need God's Word to saturate our minds so we may not sin against God. We need to know that God delights in our obedience. It was in 1 Samuel 15.22, Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than fat of rams. Are you here this morning? Am I here this morning with a heart that is obedient to God? You're wasting your time if you're here because you're here. And you want to hear, be here because you think it pleases God. That's the fact that you hear. But your heart does as it pleases. Obedience. We are saved into an obedience of faith. It tells us that in Romans. We, we were once disobedient. Doing as we pleased. Walking in darkness. Doesn't mean we were doing cruel things and, and, and murdering people. We were just not worshipping God. We were rebellious towards God. But when God saves us, He saves us into an obedience of faith. So now we fall down to Him and we obey Him. Satan will do everything in his power to get us to compromise, get us to conform to this world, its demands, and to keep God in second place. And the more the church teaches prosperity, gospel, success, etc., when rubber hits the road, when sufferings come, you're going to see those people put God in second place. Because we're not having the reality of God in front of us that suffering is in a fallen world. You might say, well, God is always first in my house, in my home. He's first here with me this morning. But are you and if you're thrown into the fiery furnace, has God come to you and given you a trial where it's a matter of death or life? Because this is what's happening with, with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. It's a matter of death or life. They have a choice. They can either disobey God and live and put God second. Or they can obey God and die. Have God come at first place in their lives, knowing that they can trust God who rules the furnace. 
They don't know the outcome. They haven't asked God for some affirmation. They haven't asked God to give them a sign. We're going to look at that, Lord willing, next week. Or not next week, in three weeks' time. At one of the other things that help them to obey the Lord, help them to, to trust the God who rules the furnace. But these three men, they have a choice. And it's their obedience to God. They're going to trust God, knowing that He is the true living God. Isaiah 43, 1-3 should encourage all of us. Fear not. And he's talking to Israel. Fear not, Israel, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burnt. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. We need to have a mind shift. And I think it's, it's easy said than done. And I say this sensitively. We have to have a mind shift where we get into a trial or a suffering. We're always wanting God to deliver us from it. We always want to, And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't just think of God, you must deliver me, you must deliver me. Please take this, this trial away from me at the expense of your obedience to worship God. Because if you only rely on God delivering you, and He doesn't, you're in a dangerous situation. And it's obvious what I'm going to say. You're either going to turn your back on God, or you're going to fall on your face and ask God to forgive you for serving a God at your beck and call. We must understand, God is not at our beck and call. We don't know. I do not know what tomorrow brings. I do not know if that aeroplane is going to stay in the air and get me to the UK safely. I do not know. I do not know if I will return here in three weeks' time and preach. If the Lord wills. And I think we wake up and we just take things for granted. These men have nowhere to run, nowhere to look. Three men out of everyone do not bow down. And we'll look at that Lord willing soon. How lonely that must have been. Their obedience is there to honor God. They don't care what God does to them. They know they are safe in His hands. I think of Martin Luther, who stood alone before the church authorities at, at the Diet of Worms. He was fighting for justification by faith alone, for grace alone, for God's glory alone. And the church was saying, you must abandon this commitment to justification by faith alone. You've got to come before all the Catholic authorities and you've got to abandon this, Martin Luther. And Martin Luther said to them, and he had the night to think about this, because the next day he was going to be either recant or martyred. But he says to them, unless I'm convinced by proofs from scriptures or by plain and clear reasons and arguments, I can and will not retract. For it is neither safe nor wise to do anything against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. <coughs> Amen.
And after he said that, he was taken away. But as he was taken away in a wagon or whatever he was taken away in, men held up this wagon and put a hood over his head and hid him for a year in another castle. God's providence. Did Martin Luther know that he was going to still live after what he said? No. He was going to come back the next day and be persecuted, martyred for standing up for the truth, for being obedient to God. So it's not just these three men thinking, oh, these three men were God's favorites. No, there's no favorites out there. These three men were obedient and they trusted God who rules the furnace. Martin Luther was obedient and he trusted God who rules the furnace. His conscience was convicted and he was not going to bend or fall to a myth or to Satan and his lies. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they stand alone in obedience to God and his word and they quickly found out because the Chaldeans, in verse 8, come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. It's amazing as a Christian, when you do something wrong, our people just love to drill you. But they don't realize that there's forgiveness, that there's, there's a greater God than what you've done wrong. We've got to stand up for the truth. We've got to realize we're going to be ridiculed. There is a time when... We will probably not be allowed to have churches here in South Africa. When that happens, I don't know. It happened to Asia Minor. There were seven beautiful churches. They closed. They're gone. What religion rules there now? We mustn't take what we have for granted. We must turn to God and plead for mercy every day. Because God is God and He does as He pleases He's not the figment of our imagination. He's not like us. He doesn't feel like us. He doesn't think like us. He's beyond us. He's transcendent. He's imminent. He's otherly. He's a spirit. But he's given us enough in his word to know the things that we can get to know him and walk in his ways. Because the secret things belong to God. But the things that he has revealed, he has made them known to us so that we can worship him faithfully, truthfully, and honestly. Those that will live godly lives will be persecuted. Those that stand up to their obedience to Christ Jesus as they walk with Him in this world will be persecuted. Are we living in obedience before God? He's always watching. He's always observing our obedience. And it's in the heart. Not externally. Externally we can show obedience. But are we obedient internally as well. And hopefully, this first thing we looked at from Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, obedience to God, that shows us what led these three men to suffer for God. Hopefully that obedience is seen in our own hearts. I challenge us. We can't keep silent anymore. We've got to go out there and live an obedient faith before the world. And trust God with the outcome, what the persecution will be. We can't be friends with the world and friends with God. Something falls. We can have friends in the world. Nothing wrong with having unbelieving friends. But be careful you don't compromise or bend the gospel to keep them as friends. Let us look back to 2 Corinthians 5. 
And remember what Christ accomplished on the cross for us. And we'll be reminded of this when we come to the Lord's Supper. 2 Corinthians 5 says this. For we must all appear... Sorry, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And if he died for all, that those who might live no longer for themselves, but for him, who for their sake died and was raised. We no longer live for ourselves. We live for Jesus. We live an obedient life before him. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Are we living a righteous life? Not a perfect life. A righteous life. A life that honors God because it's clothed in obedience. Let's pray. Father, we pray for mercy and grace. We pray that you please would be merciful to us. There are times we not, do not stand up for your word. There are times when we compromise, where we bend the gospel because we are ashamed that we might be ridiculed amongst our friends or this world. Give us wisdom, Father. Give us strength. Give us boldness to, to stand up in obedience of faith to this world. Help us to go out there and yes, it becomes a cliche, fight the good fight for the sake of Christ, but help us just to put on that full armor of God and fight the fight. Be that soldier who fights, knowing that the sword of the Spirit is the Word and we have the Word to fight this world in love with. Help us to do this faithfully, Father, but obediently, that honors you. Help us as a church to stand up for the truth. Help us, Father. We need your help in all things. We know this country is in a crisis. We know this world is in a crisis because man has forgotten you. And the more man puts you aside, the more we just go down, down, down. You just hand us over and that's what's happening. We're all going to get sucked up. Father, be merciful to us. Please help us. Pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.